This is Ross Coulthard, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank User Interviews for sponsoring this episode. Folks, after the holiday period, many of us start to feel that pinch in our bank balances. I know with having young kids, I certainly do. So earning a little extra income never hurts. That's where User Interviews can help you out. It's completely free to sign up. By giving some of your time, you can get paid for providing feedback on new or existing products with companies like Spotify, Adobe, Intuit and Amazon, among those looking to speak with quality participants. Most studies are less than one hour and pay over $68. Some studies pay several hundred dollars for a one-to-one interview. This is one that really does give you something back for your time and I'm really glad to be able to give folks an opportunity to make a bit of extra cash at a very tough time of year. So why not even stick on an episode of the podcast while you sign up? That can take less than five minutes. Are you ready to earn extra income from sharing your expert opinion? Then head over to userinterviews.com slash hello to sign up and participate today. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. We've got a breakdown for you on the 20th of January. Joining me to discuss, analyse and pick through some of the news stories from the last week or couple of days is Dan. How are we out in Mexico? Uh, I'm great, thank you so much. I realised last time I didn't tell anyone the the movie quote solution. Uh, So that was uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the the second one, uh, when the Kraken comes out of the water. Uh, but for today, I'll go for an easy one and just say good morning, Vietnam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's Independence Day, right? Yeah, that was it. It's um, Patch <laughs> Adams. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking, I was going to say speaking of Vietnam, it's not speaking of Vietnam at all. It's speaking of San Marino. Don't know why that came into my head. Totally put me off. Um, Project Titan, we'll start there. Um, Paolo Gazzardi has been on the podcast a few times now talking about the efforts of Project Titan and a group of international uh, researchers, enthusiasts, investigators, scientists, academics who are looking to push the UFO subject into the UN the General Assembly at the UN and the plan to do that if you've heard those previous interviews with Paolo you should check them out um, is using San Marino which is one of the smallest countries in the world but they have representation at the UN so that has now been approved which is fantastic so really really good news to be honest um came out of not nowhere but uh there was potential delays on it paulo had mentioned a few days ago it might not even be march before we heard anything back then all of a sudden uh, we got the news that i had been approved um robert salas dan had given some updates as well i'm going to throw some dates out at you that we're looking at the 23rd uh, sorry mid-september of 2023 uh, the submission of san marino's proposal because they'll now put that together to the un secretary general's office Somewhere from October 2023, there'll be an examination by the UN Commission, and then likely from November, December, right at the end of the year, they will vote on it at the UN General Assembly. Ultimately, are they going to create and maintain a UFO office at the United Nations? Something we've touched on before, but it's nice to see we've got a bit of concrete, there's a concrete yes on this now, that the potential, oh God, I've said a concrete yes and then potential, haven't I? That, you know, <laughs> we're definitely getting the the motion put through by San Marino. So fantastic having them on board, but it still has to go through the UN, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So we're, we're kind of at the first of like two main steps, really. Um, and if successful, then we'll be back, I guess, where we were in 78 when it was brought to the, the General Assembly there. And the interesting thing back then is that it was actually kind of Britain that downplayed it. Uh, and, and voted against it 
and kind of they, they issued a statement saying that they remain firmly opposed to the Granada resolution on UFOs. It didn't really go much deeper than that, but they just thought that the UN should save face and not waste resources and things like that. Uh, Hopefully this time it will be different, but the UK haven't really spoken on the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, though I would hope they support it, uh, I'm, I'm kind of nervous, to be honest. <laughs> Do you know what? I would like to see a few journalists in the UK press comment on this, or, or at least have it put to them. Maybe that's something some of the gents at UAP Media can help get involved with, just because that is one of the things that they're really good at, is getting in touch with journalists and contacts and saying, look, did you know this had happened? Because most of the time, news like this totally bypasses the UK press. It doesn't reach them, and it has to be put in front of them to say, this might be something you want to look at. So it'd be interesting to hear this asked of some of the kind of higher-ranking politicians, um, anyone involved at the UN from a United Kingdom perspective, and just to see, you know, can we get some comments on that? Because it is a pretty interesting angle to attack. I think I used angle of attack on Twitter when I was speaking to someone to get the UFO topic moving forward again in a different way, where it's not just, are we waiting on congressional hearings in the US? You know, it's another place to at least have the conversation heard. Yeah, 100%. And it's an an international issue, as we always say. You know, these sightings happen all around the world uh, for for decades and decades and decades now, centuries, if you want to go back that far. So it should be a worldwide issue, and all the countries should be involved, and this is exactly where it should be. So I've got my fingers crossed. Some of the comments uh, Liberation Times and Chris Sharp had put out on his website, the links are in the description to the podcast. Uh, Paolo Gazzardi, who obviously deserves a lot of the credit here, I'm sure he would he would point to others involved with, with ISAR and the Central Ufological Nazionale of Italy. Um, Paolo says, and I'll quote, and I won't do his accent, Today, the nation of San Marino has made a momentous decision, meaning the UFO phenomenon will now be discussed where it belongs at the United Nations, the highest council of humanity. I once went to the toilet there, Dan, and didn't realise, in the UN, uh, uh, in New York. Um, (laughs) That's not part of the quote, sorry, folks. I actually Uh, put a a podcast sticker outside of the UN in New York when I last visited, so so technically we're we're present there. Vandalism. Um, (laughs) I take no part in that. And uh, to further the quote, he says, this project is hugely important in today's world when nations are observing transmedium objects in their skies and seas. Against the backdrop of conflicts like in Ukraine, it is the topic which can promote positive cooperation so that we can help solve an enigma which we all face. This one topic can unite our planet and counter our tendency for conflict. Quick side point on that then, Dan. Does that argument still hold water with you that the UFO topic can unite the world because if it's true that the US, Russia and China are all very aware of a non-human intelligence, another presence, be it aliens, different dimensions, it's certainly not united them to this point, has it? No, it hasn't. Uh, certainly certainly not on this issue and, and not in terms of taking a threat from outer space seriously. Um, I say threat in kind of, you know, inverted commas there if you can't see me doing the bunny ears. Uh, it would be nice for us to come together over this, but the the different kind of stories throughout history and the different factions and the different crash recoveries mean that probably a number of in, a number of countries have interests in kind of keeping this to themselves. When this absolutely is a is an issue where different countries have different pieces of the puzzle, and we really need to work together to to figure the whole thing out. 
Yeah, a further quote from Lou Elizondo uh, to Liberation Times says, By now it should be evident that the UAP phenomenon is not only an issue for the US. Today I would like to congratulate the people of San Marino for another historic milestone in this discussion. It should be no surprise that the world's longest standing republic is now championing the UAP cause on behalf of the world. I would also like to thank my dear friend Paolo Gazzardi and his colleagues for their tireless efforts. He finishes, We have been working this issue diligently for several years and consider this a big win for all of humanity. 2023 is already turning out to be a monumental year for this topic and I am proud to have been an integral part of Project Titan from its inception. So yeah, um, interesting. Thanks to Chris Sharp for getting those quotes as well from Paolo Gazzardi and uh, Lou Elizondo over at Liberation Times. Dan, what do you expect to come of this? Because we know the dates now. Robert Salas, like I say, put online the mid-September, October, November. So we're looking at 2024, if this goes ahead, where it would take effect. Do you see this coming to fruition or is it still very much up in the air for you? Up in the air for me, I would say. Uh, I really, really, really want it to come to fruition. Uh, the assertions of folk like Nick West saying that San Marino is a small country and therefore doesn't really deserve to be taken seriously here, I, I think is a, a little gross. Like, no, no, countries aren't defined by how many people they have, right, in, in them. Um, policing population is a silly thing. So, yeah, I, I think San Marino have a lot of credibility to take this forward. It was a really good plan. And I want to see this on the floor of the General Assembly being discussed, even if they don't establish a task force. It's still getting kind of people further down the road in terms of the discussion of UAP and UFOs. Yeah, and maybe you get some of the mainstream media picking up that story and, and asking the questions, probing on it as well, and just seeing that, you know, UFOs are back in the conversation. Uh, moving on, Brian Bender, for, I was going to say of Political, but it was his last piece of work for Political. Uh, he's since moved on, uh, made a report in their defence newsletter that NASA is hosting a two-day meeting with representatives from the Pentagon, the Federal Aviation Administration, and other agencies that Congress want involved in its ongoing UAP investigation, essentially a two-day UFO conference for select individuals. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'd love to go. <laughs> There's probably going to be some really good rep uh, presentations by people. Uh, yeah, they, they're going to be taking recommendations on how, how to study the phenomena with people like Abby Loeb being present, Project Galileo, um, Enigma Labs too, if you haven't heard of those. Uh, they, they're a New York-based company kind of building databases and standardizing those We're databases. going to get to them next, yeah. Oh, yeah. sure, cool. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I yeah. They, much, they've yeah. got their own section as well, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you know, these, these companies, they're going to be gathering data, or sorry, organizations, I should say, gathering data from all around the world. So it makes sense that, NASA or an Arrow or people like that all want to be aware of that data. Um, they, there's just a little bit of a touchy issue in terms of privacy and things like that, I think. So getting these different organizations all in one place is something that sounds like the UAP task force has struggled to do and it's in its role because they've had to go all over to collect data. NASA is obviously getting them all on the one the one campus, the one building. So there'll hopefully be some people involved in the UFO topic and their different specialities maybe meeting for the first time especially face to face and having those kind of conversations so maybe some of that networking will be a positive for the subject moving forward maybe people at the UAP task force and and Dr Sean Kirkpatrick are going to benefit from again having those individuals speaking to each other in some way shape or form would you expect Dr Kirkpatrick and others to be there from the task force 
Yeah, absolutely, I would. Uh, it would be a shame if they weren't, because this is the these are essentially their work colleagues, right? Uh, the, the only other people in the world taking this seriously. So, uh, yeah, we we've heard so much about the data silos and you know these separated data pools over the years that an event like this stands to just you know blow those data silos apart and and just establish some information sharing, which I think is a really good thing. Data silos are so uh, so twenty twenty one, I would say. Yeah, it's a famous T-shirt, I'm sure, with that on it. Um, but yeah, I think obviously Bill Nelson has a big part to play in this as well. NASA administrator, who is a champion of the UFO subject, for, given his previous role and his previous briefings, he's he's been pretty outspoken on it and he is very much determined. I mean, Bill Nelson's very much said in interviews that, you know, there, there's something else out there. We need to be studying it. We need to be looking for it. And this is a guy who who has seen those longer classified briefings and presentations and i'm sure some wonderful pieces of video did you see on that the the video that was online a few days ago and for the love of me i can't think it was of a russian ship that the u.s believes is data collecting apparently um off its shore somewhere i want to say hawaii i'm not sure it, it may or may not be but the gist was there's a russian <laughs> warship. in hawaii is panicking now <laughs> yeah oh god yeah not again after that alarm thing that happened there um yeah there's a, a russian ship which they believe may be intelligence gathering but they've got some video of it and everyone in the ufo community are picking up online that look how clear and wonderful the video is that they've got from a distance of this Russian ship. And you can make out the detail on the ship and, you know, the boxes that have dropped and the expiry dates on the protein bars that are lying on deck, pretty much. And making the point that, you know, that's the kind of footage we want to see of these objects that you're managing to film that you can't tell us what they are. That's So that was a little bit of a frustration online because you go, ah, there's, there's some nice HD camera footage that isn't shaky or grainy. So, yeah. We know they've got yeah. it. We're, we're only allowed to see the blurry stuff. That 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 keeps us all arguing online, right? Instead of discussing yeah. the real issue. Um, yeah, you're right. The, that footage has to exist. We've been told it exists. Um, we've been told that it probably isn't going to be released because of X, Y, Z. You know, mostly to do with national security and mm-hmm. keep keeping the systems uh, classified. But you can sanitize this footage and you can get it out there as proven by, you know, things like the Russian ship video you mentioned, you know, other things exist where, you know, close-ups of tanks and things like that. We've seen the coverage from, you know, the Russia-Ukraine conflict um, and and how, you know, we're essentially broadcasting a war in 4K, you know, this is Vietnam all over again, but, but with yeah. DVD quality, um, or sorry, 4K quality. Um, so that footage exists and we, we just want to see it. And, this is what the UN issue is kind of, you know, tackling. It's finally getting it to the grown-ups table and, and having a proper discussion about this instead of just that stiff upper nose. No one shall not discuss UFOs. For a while now, you might have heard me tell you the podcast is sponsored by Zencaster, and it still is. I've been working with Zencaster as my audio host for quite some time now. The podcasting industry has also grown at an exponential rate over the past two years and it's expected to grow to more than a $150 billion industry by 2030. I've said before, I'm a huge fan of podcasting and if you're a fan of podcasting or investing, maybe both, Zencaster has now announced its round of crowdfunding. You can invest as little as $100 and join a community of other investors who seek to help Zencaster and independent podcasters succeed. 
If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com forward slash Zencaster or click the link in my episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. Yeah, quick point before we move on to the next uh, news piece. A uh, question from Dalamar in the Discord asked, he's interested to know if or, or do we think any leaks might come from the classified briefings that are happening in Congress and again potentially any leaks from this NASA you know, or meeting as well. Um, legislators in the United States are generally immune from suits and prosecution for comments made while on the floor of the House and Senate. So the potential for some very interesting speeches is there. Definitely something to watch for here in the States. What do you think the chances are over the course of this year of us getting something leaking because I'll, I'll be honest that was maybe a disappointment of mine last year was the lack of a new video or, or photograph kind of leaking from from any of those in the know yeah sure essentially we we want people like um senator gillibrand and people from the committees to kind of speak up and give us these little teasers the the only people that seem to be talking in the way that we'd hope would be uh tim burchett uh, who, who, you know, he's quite free flowing the way he speaks, talking about cover up and things like that. He's been privy to some information, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that's as close as we've come to a leak. But yeah, going forward, I, I would hope. The thing is with leaks, it means we get to see the information, but it also means that we, we don't get all of the information, right? We just get this little snippet and then there's, there's a bunch of information vacuum that just gets filled with speculation. So as much as I want leaks, I more so want them to just treat us as goddamn adults and, and have the conversation and show us this footage and go, this is just what's up, you know? Yeah, I think for me, I look at it as well that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing and you can start to, and as a god, isn't that just a UFO topic in general though, ever since since day one, that you you create whole hypothesis and ideas and you firm resolutions on on part of a whole it's having that kind of part of a jigsaw, isn't it? And going, well, this must be the full picture, but you don't know what else might be there. Um, like I gave a catchphrase for those that might have seen that and you've only got a couple of squares revealed and you, you're just kind of piecing together what it might be. Um, I like your analogies. Do do a Christmas tree one again. That one oh, yeah, for, for Ryan Sprague. Yeah, he loved the Christmas tree <laughs> one. Um, the it, It's great to get any information out, but I can see why others get frustrated with it. But also, you'll speak to to others who don't like the idea of leaks coming out because it's a kind of failure of people to protect or, or serve oaths or NDAs or, you know, that information shouldn't be getting out. So I get it's a kind of tightrope that gets walked. But yeah, I think for me, I would still love whether it was a Gallagher, Rubio, Gillibrand, Warner, Burchett or any other from any of these organizations to come out and give us a little bit of something, you know, some more information to get released. Ideally, like you say, that it comes out officially. You know, that would be it. Can you imagine a Susan Goff standing there on the podium and saying, look, right, okay, here you go. Here's a video. Um, not that that's ever going to happen, but that would be like, oh, your Christmas it, trees at once. For, for some reason, at least uh, it would be believable if she didn't know how to use VLC media player. <laughs> yeah, shout out to VLC media player. <laughs> uh, not one of the sponsors, unless they want to get in touch. Um, I uh, the the, the guy that develops it does, uh, does listen to the show. So uh, a big shout out for VLC. <laughs> Hi, VLC media player, the only media player, uh, if you want to use that, yeah. Dan, do you use any other? No, we won't go into that. Listen, so yeah, you mentioned Dan Avi Loeb is going to be in attendance as well as Enigma Labs. Enigma Labs is another news piece I've got just to discuss quickly because I know it's something you know a little bit about. Um, Enigma Labs are working on an app, aren't they? which is going to come into use. If you go onto the website, which will be in the description to the podcast, um, 
the it gives you an option to go onto the iOS beta waiting list, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm going to read their mission, Dan, and you can tell us a little bit more. So their mission on their website, uh, which is pretty sparse at the moment for, for reasons we can go into, to advance progress on UAP using cutting-edge technology and social intelligence. Only through thoughtful, open-minded study or of unidentified phenomena can we get answers. We are focused on building and keep our team low profile for privacy. That might answer that last part as why some of it's a little bit sparse the, on the privacy side of things. Um, so what do you know, Dan, about Enigma? Because you've mentioned them a few times before. Yeah, so um, Enigma seemed to be a, a company that sprang up with a bit of investor support. The investors are, are a bit of a mystery. Uh, some some people, if you speak to them, they mention a company called uh, Novastar and, and kind of overseeing the, the Arrow information and mm-hmm. that these companies are now going to be feeding into that secure system. Uh, and it's making some people a little worried that some of the information being put into databases at Enigma and places like that are going to be kind of, you know, shoehorned into into a box, never to be seen by the light of day. I was uh, going to ask you that because that's, and again, just to just to round that off, that was one of the the things I've seen online about it is a few people on social media. Um, when you go into about us. They say they are neutral, global, and professional. That's three separate headings with some information under each, which is fantastic. Some of the concern you've mentioned online is about them partnering with Arrow and NASA, and some see that as going against the transparency angle because potentially the information then going into databases of private aerospace companies can be hidden away, and you can't FOIA request that. You can't get at it. Um, So again, this seems to be one that there's a fence walk to be done on it whether you are on the side of it being right or wrong. And it reminds me, I suppose, of TTSA, for example, and maybe this is where people got their fingers burned a little bit, where uh, a company came out, promised one thing, you know, we saw the picture of the anti-gravity craft, and we heard of all these things that may or may not come out. I suppose one of the things that we can point to that was realistic was the the piece of material that they purchased from Linda Moulton Howe that the, then went to the US government under a CRADA agreement, which apparently is still in the works. We spoke to a few people about that. And yeah. that's upset people that, well, there was something we had. You had physical evidence. You could have done the work, but you gave it to the government and now it's gone. And you can't really disagree with that, can you, that that does happen and what can be done? So what what are your thoughts then on the organizations like this who are, are looking to be transparent and do the work, but one, they still need funding, which this helps them get. But two, it can compromise the overall idea of transparency. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think the the important thing to remember is the word collaborate. Um, you, you know, uh, we, we've said, I, I think I said earlier as well, partnership, but collaborate is the way it goes. And when I collaborate with people, that can appear in various forms, right? It can appear in a form where they do most of the work or you know, it's shared workload or you just share everything you've got with each other openly. Mm-hmm. Um, Enigma, NASA, you know, they're all working with Arrow and they, and Galileo as well. And they're all very dedicated to, to transparency, as they say. The information flow to Arrow is going to be specifically about uh, sensitive airspaces. And on one hand, like, yes, okay, you, you know, that, that information going to Arrow means that we probably won't see that aside from in the reports and it won't even be specified. You know, we had 50 cases from Enigma or something like that. But on the other side of the coin, you kind of want Arrow to have a full picture of everything that's happening. So the more people that Arrow are collaborating with, the more chance they've got of kind of seeing the whole picture. So we, we need 
that that cross pollination to happen. Uh, but people are certainly, I, I think, fair in being a little bit timid. And I think you're probably right about the TTSA kind of maybe burning some some people's fingers. Uh, but I remain hopeful and positive that all these kind of groups are working together, um, and that a lot of them, uh, you, you know, Galileo always said we're not touching classified data because it means that we can't discuss it then. Mm-hmm. So I would think that places like Galileo can discuss everything that they gather, even if they can't specifically tell us what they've given to Arrow. So it remains to be seen kind of how deep the collaboration goes. Uh, but but I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say. So So what's their app meant to do when it gets released? So the app will contain access to the databases, basically, as well as a reporting tool. So you would have on your phone essentially uh, access to databases from, you know, we're talking like four, five, six decades, all standardized in the same way. So we can actually start looking at patterns and things like that. You know, we can see if there's any correlation with temperature or with time of year and things like that for UFO sightings. As well as that, there's a reporting portion of it. So you can actually feed into that database. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone onto the MUFON website to report a UFO encounter, but it's quite a long process and, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, it's not really modernized, I'd say. So this is kind of a, a nice modern version to get with your smartphone um, so that it's on you all the time. So you can report it quicker. Uh, you know, the data capture can be better because your smartphone has a whole bunch of sensors uh, like temperature, atmosphere, all those kind of things. So all of that will feed into these databases. Is this similar to the Vault or Scout apps that were were talked about back in the day by two of the stars that went away? That's not a bad way to think of them. I think the, the only difference would be that Scout was said to be a, a, a very... The idea was that, say, you and I were in the same area and I saw a UFO and we both had Scout on our phones. If I triangulation filming, and it would notify yeah. you. Exactly. So you could film and then we could triangulate and get distances and stuff. I don't think this app is going to do that. Um, it's just going to be a much more modern version of essentially, you know, the, these old input forms we have through places like MUFON and things like that. So, yeah, I mean... I, I can't imagine the young generation going onto a, a website like MUFON and, and going and filing all those kind of different... They, there are so many data points they want that it just takes about 30 minutes to file a, to file a report, uh, whereas people just tend to write you know, just a big paragraph and submit it with a picture or two. That's more what Enigma is geared towards. It's like any form these days. The more clicks, the more people drop off as they go through it. And if a thousand people start filling out a form that's got 30 questions by the end of it so many of them are dropped off as it goes along yeah. and there's patterns and studies on that kind of stuff so i get it because we've all done it where you see this will only take five minutes and you go on and it's dropped down and click this and drop down and <laughs> even just the layout of it the presentation of a survey can be really off-putting so yeah i can see yeah, why exactly. that happens and, and we miss out don't we i was listening to a podcast i love last night um I listened to, I've, I've got Dan onto them recently, Plumbing the Death Star. It's a group called Sans Pants, Sans Pants Radio. Australian, New Zealand-based comedians are all very funny, but they do a host of different podcasts. And one of them is called Jackson Bailey Spooks America. And they take a funny look at ghost cases, you know, um, monsters, werewolves, all that kind of stuff. And they, they sometimes touch on UFOs. And if you're if you're protective or sensitive about the UFO topic, maybe don't listen to it because they <laughs> aren't really believers themselves, but they present the information that they gather. And it can I, I like them because they're really funny. Um, but they were talking about, 
UFO sightings. And this was, uh, they got information from Statista, I think was the website. It was something like that, or Statisto. And it was from 2015 or 20, 2015 or 2017. And it was something, one of the guys on the show asked, well, how many UFO reports with modern technology actually get, you know, reported these days? I bet it's quite low because everyone's got a camera and, you know, there's no UFOs in the sky, is there really? So no one's filming UFOs because they don't exist. And one of the guys went on and was like, yeah, there was 8,000 reports. And they they passed that off as being like a worldwide reporting. Sure. And, and we know for a fact whether that's right or wrong, I imagine that number is far too low because I think they get more reports than that just in the US alone. People just don't report because, like you say, the standardization isn't there. They wouldn't phone the police to report a UFO. They wouldn't phone, you know, the local government politicians to report a UFO. I get questions to me, how do I report a sighting I've seen? And usually I say to them, go on to MUFON, or if it's in the UK, you've got the guys at UFO Identify to collate reports. But there's such a lack of standardization, isn't there, that most of these reports go into the ether. Me, myself, with my two sightings that we have talked about plenty of times, they've never been reported because what's the point? Yeah, like, well, what did they do with them, right? They don't follow up. Um, I'm, I'm the same, you know, I think I've reported maybe two of the ones I've experienced. And, and then I was just like, there's nothing happening with this. Even if someone picked up from MUFON, they would come and, you know, there would be interviews and then it wouldn't go forward. Um, I, I'm much more encouraged by that kind of overall database analysis, especially what we've got these days with AI kind of being able to identify patterns that, that humans can't, we're already finding you know, create an element, or sorry, not elements, but materials that we, we didn't think were possible because of these technologies saying, hey, you know, try try this combination. Yeah. So I'm, I'm real hopeful for, for a database like Enigmas to, to shine some light uh, with, with, you know, this just will be darkness, essentially. And on that, finally, is there any date proposed as to when their app may be up and running? Uh, not as far as I know, but the iOS app being in beta means that it's decently far along so i would probably expect sometime in the next year i'm going to be completely honest and admit that i do love a bit of cool technology but not all the best tech is classified so when blendjet got in touch about their new blendjet 2.0 i was very excited to try it out especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate just shaking never has the same results as a blender does let's be fair Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blend Jet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, a big one for me folks, and it lasts for 15 or more blends, and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blend Jet 2 cleans itself, just blend with water. Water, a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 colours available, there is something for everyone. Personally, I'm a huge fan of the carbon fibre. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off, remember folks, and that free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. 
cool. That may have been useful if we had that app for the next uh, news piece from the FAA audio clips. John Greenwald over at the Black Vault had FOIA requested an incident from the 11th of November 2022 where a pilot uh, reported two to three circling lights above the aircraft. Um, on the audio clipping, it goes about an hour. John, again, the link is in the description. John uh, Greenwald mentions that the the much the recording was much longer, but he's taken out the chatter, the silences, and anything non UFO related. Um, the pilot essentially asks the tower at the start, "Is there any military activity going on locally?" They confirm nothing confirmed, and the rest of is essentially the pilot talking about you know what he's kind of seeing. Um, Ben Hansen had reported similar a few months ago. If people remember, I had Ben on to talk about the the investigations he was doing and more of these pilots are reporting seeing lights. There were quite a few people, though, who were quite adamant that the pilots are just misidentifying Starlink satellites. Let me put out there straight away, I am not a pilot. That might shock some people. No, actually, no, I never got my license. I'm terrified <laughs> of heights. Terrified. Whenever, whenever you tell me you're on your way to work, I just assume you're in your personal plane. Absolutely. I'd be at a very, very low, low height. Um, so, yeah, not for me. But listen, they're, they're, I'm no aviation expert, but I think when it comes to Starlink satellites, those are a very new phenomena for people to see in the skies. Um, they, they have only been up there for a few years, and we know the numbers are increasing all the time. Um it, it does seem that there's a chance they have may have been Starlink satellites. Mick West um, did put up some information under the thread to say that they were Starlink satellite flares. Um, and he, he gave the position of the sun. He gave, you know, where the Starlink satellites were at that time of the night, where they were in the sky. There was a lot of them. And it, it goes without saying that it could be that that's an explanation for it. Um, what I am grateful of though is that we're getting pilots talking about these more and more they're not seeing strange lights in the sky and going oh those look like ufos i'm just going to ignore them they're they're getting in touch with towers they're filing reports and people like john are able to go in and fire request these that again similar to the the ufo report we had that just a few weeks ago or a week or so ago 500 cases x amount explained it doesn't mean that more of them aren't going to have prosaic explanations but what it means is we can filter those out and we can get better at filtering those out to say oh yeah it was an aircraft it was clutter it was a drone it was something else but it leaves us that number that are still going to be truly unexplainable they exhibit five observables and that can only be a good thing as opposed to not getting reports and having almost nothing to work with that's the way i'm kind of looking at it dan is that two glass half full no, I, I would completely agree with you. You know, it, it doesn't matter if these things are prosaic. We have to solve them and take them off the table. And, and only by doing that can we say that's not a UFO. Like it's an IFO now, an identified, you know, flying object. Um, mixed kind of assertion about Starlink. What, what I love about things like this is because those systems exist for us to, you know, just sit at home, fire up Stellarium and look at where the sun was and where the Starlink was. That means that that can be an automated system, essentially. So a company like Enigma, if they wanted to, could create this little thing in their app that if you are this specific degrees on the horizon from the Starlink satellite and you go to film something, it could say, hold on, this could be a Starlink satellite. Let me cross-reference that without even asking anyone. So this, this kind of modern technological approach can help tackle things like this. And I think that's what we're going to see develop over the next few years so that low-hanging fruit like the Starlink stuff can just be dealt with. Uh, we, we see people from the ground kind of filming Starlink and, and you know posting videos of rocket launches as well, just because it's outside of their wheelhouse of experience, so they don't sure. know what they're looking at. 
um and yeah a, like i say a, an automated system that could just you know take the time and place of their video and just say hey you know it might be this uh within a degree of certainty uh it, it could take a lot of cases off the table and allow us to focus on the anomalous stuff yeah and that's not to say that there may not have been something there because it's just one explanation and i suppose there's still a lack a full lack of data sets from it including the i the eyewitness testimony of the pilot is is crucial because these these guys and these these women they know what they're seeing but they can still misidentify things sure but again the cameras never look as good as a naked eye and we've all done it it's the old thing i'm going to take a picture of the moon and you go out on your your phone that costs you a thousand pounds and it's a, a white dot in the sky and you're like ah oh, that doesn't look like what i'm looking at so again <laughs> and it, it's the frame rates isn't it where you see something drop in and out and that was one of the things on the ben hansen footage that i remember watching it dan with you at one point before we recorded a show and i don't think we were sure what we were meant to be looking at because there was a star or several stars wasn't there in, That's the, in right, the frame yeah. and i was like oh i've been looking at that and i think you were as well but it was just the star flashing in and out because of the frame rate yeah that's right and it kind of makes it look a little anomalous so when when that person was looking back at the video they were kind of going oh that's flickering in and out that must have been what i saw but actually you know upon further examination it wasn't um and and some debunkers use that to wipe that kind of video off the table when really the conversation should have been about that eyewitness testimony you're absolutely right there, there are larger contexts to these things and it goes the other way as well i posted a video online from a, a volcano here in mexico that, that's a bit of a hot spot for ufos and there was an object just a black object kind of floating through the sky that when i was there i thought it was a balloon i i had people telling me it wasn't a balloon and i was just like this this is interesting this is going the opposite way now mm -hmm. and so, it's it's a uh... No, it's just funny when you said UFO hotspot and volcano. I was like, yeah, but yeah, it's <laughs> not what you meant. Um, but listen, yeah, cool. So um, good work from John Greenwald on that one. I will put the link in the description. Check it out, folks. See what you think for yourselves. But thanks to John for doing that work. And again, it's one of those situations where you need people like Mick West to at least present, here's a hypothesis and here's some work. And at least they put in why he thinks that's what it could be which is not just here's what it is but here's why i think that as well so so fair enough folks we'll leave that one open uh, and finally from for me dan uh the the hill.com uh manic von remenkamp who puts out a lot of good work uh, uh, on he the does. hill put an article out on the 19th of january uh lou elizondo christopher mellon and others have followed up and retweeted as well 10 reasons to take ufos seriously and i like that he's used ufos and not uap and like a kind of serious serious organization like uh the hill um just firing through them is the best way to do this dan because there are 10 things on there but should we just fire through and very very briefly touch on each one yeah let's i, I think they're fairly self-explanatory but yeah let's Cool. Military pilot number one, military pilots and other service members reported more than 500 additional UFO incidents. Some appear to demonstrate highly advanced technology. So, yeah, just coming from the recent report, we had over 500, 510 was the number. Some of them obviously predated the initial report just due to timings and dates as to when they were submitted and going through the system. But again, it's good to get that. What I would love to see on the next report or the next annual report, even, is that there are a thousand or one and a half thousand again of which many will be prosaic many will be um us tech russian tech all that kind of stuff but there will still be a number of truly anomalous ones in there and what we need to get better at or what the the us need to get better at is filtering those out to make sure that they can present the anomalous stuff in a much more concise fashion 
Absolutely. And, and Arrow used a, a key phrase in the report where they said that they were characterizing sightings as opposed to solving them, uh, which means that, you know, within about 90% certainty, they'll think something is characterized as a balloon, for example. Uh, I, I think this is an effort to filter those down so that they're not dealing with so many. Number two, Dan, Congress is taking UFOs extremely seriously. Yes, but I've got to be honest and say I was disappointed by the lateness of the report that was due in October that landed in January. So while it's been taken seriously, is the pressure or or demand for that the timeliness, you know, we want this done and it wasn't done, That that's a little bit upsetting. Uh, you know, when you go, oh yeah, you're taking it seriously, but are you taking it that seriously? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think this kind of goes along with point three as well in Eric's article where he says that government officials are making eyebrow-raising statements about UFOs. I think the more eyebrow-raising statements are made by officials, the more stink is going to be kicked up about things like late reporting and things like that. Hopefully going forward, that won't happen again. You, you know, we're not going to be reporting through the DOD now. Uh, it, it's out from under their wing. So yeah, think, fingers crossed that... The, the seriousness does start kind of getting hammered down. And, and as I like to say, that the next year is going to be full of the stick, not the carrot, like this year was full of. Yeah, and you mentioned those comments, people like uh, John Ratcliffe and Bill Nelson really getting into the, not skirting around it, but that, you know, we could be talking alien life, you know, or I'm not willing to get into talking about that in a way that's not dismissive. Well, what was it they said? I, I can't, I can't go further. It's like, yeah. can't or won't. <laughs> exactly. And I know that is then, that's fuel for those who want to nitpick at it. But uh, that's kind of positive for me, that use of language. Uh, number four, scientists are interested in the UFO phenomenon and have been for decades. Well, that's just a fact. But yes, um, we're seeing that with uh, Avi Loeb, the Galileo Project. Uh, even, Dan, very relevant, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson seemed to have done a little bit of a U-turn yeah. on his his comments. It's coming around. He's trying to be get get on the cool kids train now with this subject. Um, it, it kind of speaks volumes to where the subject is. That someone like him is trying to kind of claw back and, and get in the good graces of it. Uh, all we ever wanted him to say was science should tackle this, and finally that's what he's saying. Do you know what Neil deGrasse Tyson? There'll be a good anagram in there, and the word alien is definitely there. So if someone wants to work that one out as to what Neil deGrasse Tyson's anagram might be to get the word alien in. Are we about to find ahead. out he's reptilian, is that what? <laughs> yeah, it's been there all along, yeah. Number five, the public analyzes, uh, sorry, public analysis corroborate eyewitness accounts of UFOs exhibiting remarkable technology. Um, yeah, again, we've, we've got the accounts where, again, the lack of evidence, though, is the, the kind of thing there, isn't it? We do see pictures and videos which may turn out to be balloons, for example, um, and without the surrounding data, they are just that eyewitness accounts and it's i love an eyewitness account you know i speak to people about them you know i've had my own dan you've had your own but the more data you get along with it was it sean cahill in that room 101 a couple of years ago put in one oh, source yeah. it was when it when anything's got one source it's useless whether it's testimony whether it's just a video with no chain of custody whether it's a photograph you need multiple data points to really really thicken it up so yeah fair enough and number six, number six, Dan, credible sources observed UFOs for decades. So credible sources are exactly what we're relying on because we don't have that data. We're looking at people who, who are working in official positions of power and are willing to talk about this. We have astronauts. We have 
governors from Canada, from Brazil, from, you know, all over the world talking about this. Uh, it's about time we started listening. Number seven, an intra-government battle over UFOs may be brewing. And we hear a lot about this, don't we? Pro and anti-UFO factions, whether That's it be right, religious yeah. reasons, spiritual reasons, or, or other reasons, uh, that there's a bit of a, a tug of war going on as to how much information gets out on the topic at all. Yeah, and, and I think the next point of the, the government's UFO hunt may have already hit national security pay dirt kind of speaks to why that might be taking place. Some in the government want to keep this technology for themselves and use it for military advantage. Other ones want it out in the world to, to better mankind. Uh, it remains to be seen who's going to win out, but uh, it certainly feels like the, the people shining light on this issue are, are chipping away and winning. Yeah, and you've touched on number eight there, haven't you? Uh, number nine, UFOs are a fiercely bipartisan issue. Yeah, we, we seem to have seen that, don't we? And I suppose, folks, I'm talking to you here with Dan about an issue where 55% of you that listen to this are based in the United States. And we're talking about your politicians, your political system, your taxpayers, you know, these are your representatives. We're just kind of along for the ride in the background looking to see what you're doing. Um, but it does seem that a lot of different politicians and regardless of their politics which sometimes again folks get in touch to say do you know about this one do you know about this one and their stance on x y and z we're just looking at the ufo topic here and it does seem that it's bringing a lot of very varied people together yeah absolutely um you know over the decades has collected a lot of fans uh, i say decades again centuries but you know the decades people are, are with us still um yeah it's collected a lot of fans and a lot of people like jack valet who, who have had a big impact on the world through things like the internet and, and other kind of initiatives uh there are a lot of people with their heads really switched on now looking at this issue and uh it has such huge implications uh no matter which way you look at it whether you think it's a psyop or whether you think it's you know there's something here in the sky and we're being visited uh wherever it may be from uh it, it's about time we we started looking quite frankly and you, you mentioned there are profound implications number 10 yeah ufos are an intriguing mystery with potentially profound implications i mean that's why we're here isn't it whether you end up getting far too far down the rabbit hole and the topic gets frustrating or you seem sometimes it's one step forward two steps back I love talking about UFOs, past, present, future. I love speculating. And I think if you can hold that kind of love of the mystery around it, you know, that the topic's ever present and there's always going to be something there for you. Um, how have you found the last couple of years, Dan, to ask you this to finish off then in terms of the progress that's been made, but the setbacks as well? A lot of people like to say that nothing's going on. I think everything we've discussed today, the fact it's got to the UN, the fact that, you know, we've got these organizations that are so robust that the government are ac actually trying to work with them now. Turn the clock back before 2017, and we just didn't have that. Even 2018, 2019, you, you know, we're, we're in a completely new area. And some of this feels familiar in terms of the Blue Book UA. You know, Hynek was part of that 1978 UN initiative. Um, so were some of the astronauts like Gordon Cooper. Um, but in other ways, it feels really different. Uh, you know, we're in the age of communication. People can pick up this information a lot quicker now. It can't be shut down as fast. Uh, if the UK try and, you know, veto this, I, I can imagine a lot of ministers getting annoyed by letters from a constituent saying, what the hell are we doing? This is an important issue. Absolutely. Well, Dan, that's that's all for this roundup. I don't suppose you've got anything else you want to touch on or? Uh, no, just to say I love everyone and have an awesome day.
Awesome. And yes, and for me too, folks, enjoy your weekends. And um, we'll be back next week with more interviews and breakdowns. And hopefully next week we'll have the David Palides review of Missing UFO Connection, Missing 411, the UFO Connection. And for those asking, I'm still trying to get that rescheduled as well with David. So until then, enjoy your weekends, enjoy your week and speak soon. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was wet. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think I'd be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake? Consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life, consider your...